to remember that number. The mnemonic is 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Thank you so much to everyone who pledged. Please keep calling 1-800-439-5732 and stay tuned. And you are listening to KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, KPFB 89.3 FM in Berkeley, KFCF 88.1 FM in Fresno, K248BR 97.5 FM in Santa Cruz, and around the world at kpfa.org. I'm Brian Edwards-Teeker. And I'm Kat Brooks. And coming up this hour, we have a, a special presentation to bring you. The earthquake, worst case scenario. Got us thinking about the it's a sure thing, we just don't know when scenario. And that is an eruption of the Hayward Fault, a major fault line that runs less than a mile from our studios here in downtown Berkeley through the most populated regions of the East Bay, and a fault line capable of creating a quake big enough to do massive damage in all parts of the greater metropolitan Bay Area. So we're going to spend the next hour taking you through the latest science, the modeling that has been built on top of the science to figure out what the cost might be in terms of property and lives and economic output, and then take you through solutions. What it takes to be prepared at an individual level, what it takes to be prepared as a community, and what policy questions get raised by the fact that were such an earthquake to hit today, we would be facing the biggest crisis of the past three generations. Let's start with our first interview. The guest is Jennifer Strauss, External Relations Officer at UC Berkeley Seismology Lab, Regional Coordinator for ShakeAlert Northern California, and a co-author of the Haywired Earthquake Scenario, which tries to envision in detail what the consequences would be if the big one hit the Hayward Fault. Here's the interview. Paint us a picture. What does a 7.0 magnitude earthquake look like with Oakland at the epicenter? Okay, so it's going to be somewhere between Steve Martin and L.A. story and The Rock in um, San Andreas, right? So it's not going to be crazy like tsunamis in the bay and buildings like falling down in dominoes. But it's also not going to be something where people can just be like, ah, I'm a Californian. I've seen earthquakes before. I'm just going to sit this one out. Um, people are going to lose water, power, um, housing is already a huge issue in the Bay Area, and it's going to be exacerbated by this sort of event. How much housing gets compromised, knocked down, or made otherwise uninhabitable? So that is a good question, and I don't think we exactly know the answer to that right now. Um, there are a lot of buildings that are worked on being retrofitting, specifically in the city of San Francisco. They have a huge retrofit program going on right now for a lot of the public buildings and the schools. Um, other groups are providing grants to homeowners to retrofit their own buildings. And so I don't think we have a very good assessment of what the numbers are with all of that retrofit that's been done over the past couple of years. But this is like something I didn't understand until I talked to an engineer about retrofitting my own house. A retrofit isn't necessarily designed to make the house habitable after an earthquake. It's meant to keep the house from killing you in exactly. an earthquake. And this is, this is one of the big issues that's being talked about right now in the Bay Area because life safety is just that, life safety. That doesn't mean you can use that house ever again. And I think there's a large disconnect between the people who sort of wrote the standards and, and thought that was a good way to design the building code and the people who are retrofitting their house and they're like, well, wait a second, what do you mean? 
this isn't going to be usable after the fact. So that's a big thing that, that we're grappling with. And I don't know if this falls outside of your purview, so just tell me if it does. I think as a homeowner, I just went, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's why folks have earthquake insurance. But it sounds like this, this level, this magnitude of damage, are insurance companies ready for this? Maybe not. Um, on the one side, there's not a very large percentage of people in California that have earthquake insurance. So if everybody had it, obviously it would be very impactful. Earthquake insurers also have what's called reinsurance so that for these large catastrophic events, they have insurance on, of their own that can pay the payout. Spot, the payout exactly. Yeah. So yeah, and a lot of times just because your your building is no longer usable or habitable, that doesn't mean it can't be fixed. Right. It just costs money. And not just money, but you need people, you need materials, and both are in short supply after natural disasters. Right. And and if everything is getting repaired all at once, it may take you six months to get your house fixed, at which case Where do you, what are live? you doing? Where do you live? What are you doing? Well, this gets into some of the disparities we were talking about earlier, Brian, before we came into this interview, was about the demographics of the people that would be most hard hit if something like this happens. Yeah, that's certainly true. A lot of the housing in um, low-income neighborhoods or um, neighborhoods that are in very high-risk areas like the marina, um, still along what used to be the Cypress Viaduct of Oakland area, are going to be hit hard. And how do, you, how do you solve that problem? Because along the edges of the bay um, and in the marina in particular, it's all built on artificial fill. That's not real land. That's stuff that got that got built up as people wanted to reclaim stuff that, that was not already there. And so this type of land amplifies signals from earthquakes. So when the earthquake waves hit, they just jostle around and keep ringing like a bell. And so the shaking is amplified and the duration of the shaking is amplified in those areas. So you compound all that together. You've got not just the level of damage, but then you've got the fiscal inability to repair it. Yes, exactly. And this happened during Loma Prieta, right? Loma Prieta was centered in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Santa Cruz experienced lots of damage, but what are the two areas with the second most amounts of damage? Along the uh, east side of Oakland and the Marina District. The places in between didn't um, have as catastrophic of damage, and it's because of that sort of soft sediment, artificial fill. So you're also describing neighborhood where people have fewer access to resources, where housing stock is more likely to be neglected, particularly if it's owned by absentee landlords. Right, um, who don't want to pay for retrofitting. And where first responders and emergency services don't necessarily get there that fast. Exactly, it's a huge problem. Oh. Are there organizations working specifically when we're talking about cities and local governments, et cetera, getting prepared? Is that in the purview? Is that part of the conversation? Yes. Yes. I think this is a big thing that um, many of us who um, are working in this area are aware of and specifically thinking of how do you harness um, local spiritual communities, local um, needs-based communities um, to help create sort of empowerment coalitions so that um, you can you can get the people help like right away without waiting for other resources to come in. So paint us a picture. I mean, like you're doing scenario planning on a 7.0 in Oakland. The Hayward Fault runs through Oakland and most of the East Bay cities on the Bay side. Um, what what does the East Bay look like five minutes after that earthquake's hit? That is a really good question. And ultimately, it depends on where the earthquake happens. 
Um, so in 1868, the last really huge earthquake on the Hayward Fault, it was called the Great San Francisco Earthquake because there were not a lot of people living over here and there were a ton of people living in San Francisco who got affected by the heavy shaking. So if you have an earthquake that starts epicenter in the Oakland area, you're going to get heavy shaking, heavy damage. You're probably going to lose a lot of infrastructure and utilities that people rely on. If it's an earthquake that starts way at the southern end of the Hayward Fault and ruptures northward, you're going to get a very different sort of shaking scenario. And so those pockets that are on artificial fill will experience lots and lots of shaking. People in the hills may be more stabilized by the um, the ground. And fire is one of the biggest problems after an earthquake. And so it's also going to depend on how those break out and how um, first responders can respond to them. Is there any way to predict where it's most likely to hit? We cannot predict earthquakes, unfortunately. What we can do is ascribe probabilities to where earthquakes are most likely going to happen. So for instance, uh, San Andreas Fault, runs along the peninsula, San Francisco area. Hayward Fault runs along the East Bay. Each one of those earthquake faults has a probability that they're going to rupture in a large way in the next 30 years. The other way, both faults, because we've just spent this morning talking about the Hayward Fault. San Mm -hmm. Andreas also may go in the next 30 years? Yeah. But it's a lower probability. They're actually quite similar in probabilities. The Uniform California Earthquake Rupture Forecast has assigned probabilities to all these different quakes, and it's pretty close to... 30% for both of them. So keep in mind, the last major earthquake that happened on the northern San Andreas Fault was 1906. 1989 doesn't count as major? No. So earthquakes happen on a logarithmic scale. So the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake was a magnitude 6.9. The earthquake that happened in San Francisco was more like a 7.9. And so these are not like meaning it's twice as big or or one time bigger. It's a logarithmic scale. So it's about the equivalent having 32 Loma Prieta earthquakes happening all at the same time to make one 1906 earthquake. I'm sorry for scaring you. (laughs) This is not supposed to be a a traumatic meeting. Brian and I have been speechless. And so, so both of these, we can expect a major quake in the next 30 years. I'm sorry, I just have yes. to hear you say but, that. But, but that I'm major quake in the terms of 6.7 or above. So, so Loma Prieta or above. So we saw Napa earthquake that happened in 2014 was about a magnitude 6. So you can mentally compare the news you saw about Napa at a magnitude 6 with what happened in Loma Prieta, which was the next magnitude unit up. Are we ready for this at all? Are cities ready for this? We're not as ready as we could be, but we have made significant strides since Loma Prieta. Um, city governments around the Bay have invested a ton of money into hardening infrastructure, doing retrofits, um, getting people prepared. There are several neighborhood empowerment committees that I was talking about that are educating people, training people to respond to an earthquake. People are a little bit more aware of drop cover, hold on, don't put a huge television right over your bed that could fall on you while you're sleeping if an earthquake happens. So a lot of these little steps are actually going to add up. That's the voice of Jennifer Strauss. She's external relations officer at UC Berkeley's Seismology Lab and co-author of the Haywired Earthquake Scenario.
a project that literally hundreds of scientists and engineers have been working on to try to envision in excruciating detail what happens if a 7.0 centered in Oakland hits the Hayward Fault on a working day. The conclusions are pretty staggering because the 7.0 is not the worst theoretical earthquake that could hit that fault line. But they conclude the earth would move six feet practically instantaneously. 400 fires would break out at the same time and consume the equivalent of 52,000 homes. About 411,000 people would be displaced. And imagine an area that is seeing double-digit increases in the homeless population. It is unable to shelter every year. Deal with suddenly nearly half a million more people without roofs over their head. Parts of the East Bay would be without tap water for seven months. The Hayward Fault gets a major earthquake on average every 150 years. Its last major earthquake was 151 years ago in 1868. The point we're trying to make, and and this is a point you're going to hear us return to over the course of this hour, is that if you are listening to us over our FM signal, you are in the Greater Bay Area, probably. And it's not a question of if you are going to live through a major earthquake. It is a question of when. You have to be prepared. You can't count on the government to be there to rescue you. In fact, every government emergency preparedness agency is saying (laughs) we're counting on you to be prepared so we can get help to people who need it the most and not be bogged down providing for your basic needs. That means you have to have supplies of food, water, first aid kit, a way to get information which the most reliable way after a major disaster hits compromises the cell traffic and the power grid that is an emergency radio that will work when the power is out and you have to make you have to have a way to make sure that the water in your pipes is safe to drink because one of the first things you may get is a boil water advisory at exactly the time you have shut off your gas to keep it from burning down your house now as luck would have it we have put together during this fun drive thank you gifts that satisfy these basic preparedness criteria. And we put some time into selecting them. The first is an emergency radio. It gets AM, FM, and also the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration weather bands. Um, it runs off disposable batteries, a built-in rechargeable battery that you can keep topped off, a solar panel that will let it power itself indefinitely in a ray of sun. And if the lights are out, the sun has set and the batteries are drained, you can still power it off of a hand-cranked generator that folds out of the back. It also has a built-in LED flashlight, so you can use it to find your way around in the dark. And a USB out port, so you can use it to squeeze electricity into a mobile phone. Um, This emergency radio is yours for a pledge of $200 or more. It is small. It is light. It works well. It is easy to grab and go. That's why we picked it. 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-HEY-KPFA or online at KPFA. Dot org. Brian, you mentioned that we may be out of water in the Bay, in the East Bay in particular, for up to seven months. No water, no life. And the water that is there is likely to be contaminated and not um, drinkable, which 
isn't going to serve your life-serving purposes very well. So we also have the Life Straw. It is a water filter. It removes almost 100% of waterborne bacteria and protozoan cysts. It doesn't introduce any harmful chemicals. The plastic is even BPA-free. It doesn't need batteries. It's simple. I have it at my house. You just open the package, you put it in the water, and you drink. That is yours for a pledge of one hundred and twenty dollars or just ten dollars a month sustainer to your station by calling 1-800-439-5732 1-800-HEY-KPFA but along with water and news what else do they need brian basic supplies so um we've put together an emergency kit it is everything you and someone else need for 72 hours packaged in a backpack so you can grab it and go um this contains food for two people for three days not good food, food that will keep you going, specifically 2,400-calorie food bars. Um, 12 water pouches, two emergency ponchos, two 12-hour emergency light sticks, medical gloves, dust masks, a 33-piece first aid kit, an emergency whistle, which is important if you are covered in debris and trying to draw attention to yourself, two survival blankets, and much more. It's all packed in a backpack. It's yours for a pledge of $300 for that emergency kit at 1-800-439-5732. And everything we have mentioned, the solar crank-powered, battery-powered emergency radio, uh, the practically indestructible water filter, and the backpack stuffed with emergency supplies that I just mentioned, uh, is also available to you at a combined and somewhat discounted pledge rate of $500 at 1-800-439-5732. And folks, the point you're going to hear us make several times this hour is you need this stuff. You must have it if you live in earthquake country. You by no means have to get it from KPFA. But... If you are the type of person that builds a to-do list too big for you to ever get to the bottom of, you cannot afford to do that with earthquake preparedness. You cannot shove this to the back of your desk with the other paperwork you don't want to deal with it. If you don't have an emergency kit, you are at risk. And you can take care of it right now in two minutes. By calling our pledge line at 1-800-439-5732. The money will go towards supporting KPFA so that we can be here for this community when emergency hits. And it will ensure you have ticked off those basic preparedness boxes. It is 120 for the water filter, 200 for the emergency radio, 300 for the backpack with emergency supplies, or 500 for all three of them combined at one 800 439 5732. We want to go back to our interview with Jennifer Strauss, but first I want to tell you that Phyllis in Oakland and Sue in Berkeley have put together their hard-earned dollars wow. to make a match of $550 for this station. That's $550 that is on the line during this very important fund drive. And if you've been waiting to donate, this is the time when your dollar goes further. One becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight. You get the math. 550 becomes a thousand. 
and ten dollars. I think Brian will no one thousand one hundred. Nicely done. Eleven hundred dollars. Brian is a mathematician on the show, not me. Eleven hundred dollars for your station that we desperately need. Pick up the phone right now. Help yourself. Help your station. One eight hundred four three nine five seven three two. One eight hundred. Hey KPFA or online at kpfa.org. So we'll start the five hundred fifty dollar match countdown right now. It's your chance to make that pledge go further while you outfit your own household. Um, We're going to count on you to call in about 10 minutes. We'll let you know how we're doing. So it's 1-800-439-5732 or kpfa.org. Let's return to our interview with Jennifer Strauss. Because I'm obsessed. Tsunamis, that's like my big nightmare. We talked earlier with our earlier guest about tsunamis, and he felt pretty confident that the Hayward Fault, that wouldn't be an issue. What about the San Andreas? It's also likely not to be an issue. So both the Hayward and San Andreas Faults are what we call strike-slip faults. So they rub side to side against one another. You generally get tsunami from um, either normal faulting or reverse faulting earthquakes. So that means that the ocean floor experience of lift the floor like raises really fast and then you get this column of water that's been raised and spills out over the side so for cascadia going from about eureka in northern california all the way up to british columbia tsunami is a is something we expect um tsunamis from other countries are things that happen and impact uh, the shores of california but northern san andreas and hayward are not likely to produce tsunami and if we get one from one of those remote places, the the Golden Gate is a kind of natural barrier for those of us living in the East Bay. Yes, on the East Bay, yeah, you got a little help over there. California policies kept the coast relatively depopulated, right? That that minimizes the risk. It definitely does, and um, and places along the coastline like Eureka are you know really heftily investing in their tsunami um, protection plans. Um, the other thing that we're working on in the state of California, Oregon. And Washington is earthquake early warning. So the Shake Alert earthquake early warning system is trying to give people, businesses, um, first responders a little bit of notice that an earthquake is coming their way. So while it's not earthquake prediction, it can give you a couple seconds to take protective action so that the outcome is not as bad as it could have been. Talking about the, the 1906 earthquake, in terms of comparative damage, does it increase because there's more people or does it decrease because we're more prepared? That is a very good question. I have never been asked that. Um, it's probably both, actually, um, because we have more people that are exposed to risk now, but we also have more mechanisms to reduce our risk. So... That is a very interesting question, and I'm thinking it's both, but we'll have to see. We'll you have to see is cold comfort. <laughs> this, this, this whole interview is, is cold comfort. I, often uh, often we nightmares. talk about uh, sort of, you know, earthquake preparedness, earthquake early warning is, is not a, a vitamin and it's not a painkiller. It is the pain because you're kind of reminding people that this sort of thing can happen to you, and a lot of people feel... Like, there's not much they can do about it except be nervous. But these are not things that happen every day. We're talking about decadal timescales. So people shouldn't sort of, like, live in fear about earthquakes, but they should plan to attack it with a plan. I mean, I, th- but I think it's probably different. You know, like, 60 years ago, people were saying, in the next 90 years, right, this is possible. But now we're talking about the next 30 years, and it's an, not an exact science, right? It's always 30 years, though. 
That's the time frame you predict on. Why? Um, because that's how long most people's mortgages are. So it's a lot easier for people to do the calculation of how safe, you know, is my investment in my home if you do it on the same time frame as a mortgage. Huh. Along those lines, though, you mentioned earlier that um, a lot of people don't have earthquake insurance. What's your general sense about how prepared Californians are for earthquake or their resistance to doing so? Yeah, and that that is that is hard because that's kind of on a building per building situation, right? If you're if you're a renter, you're sort of at the at the calling of of the landlord and what they choose to do with the building, and and they do offer renters um, earthquake insurance, so that is one thing that that um, the listeners can can think about. The other thing is. Earthquake insurance is expensive. That's why a lot of people don't have it because they run the calculation over time and think about, well, how much does it cost to replace my house and the contents? How much does it cost to just fix my house and maybe ignore my contents? And, and how much is my payout for insurance? And so this is something that people have to sort of think about for this themselves. And so far, many Californians have chosen to, to not. And mine has lapsed twice because it's so expensive. Well, and they're high deductible plans <laughs> yeah, too, very right? high. Deductible. So, like, if very, the insurance company is saying the best deductible we can give you is you're on the hook for the first fifty thousand, um, for a lot of people, paying for the first fifty thousand is as impossible as shouldering a full half million dollar replacement cost themselves. Right. Like, it's all in the realm of I can't do it. So then, why pay the monthly? Right. This is a really depressing show. That I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, Dr. Jennifer Strauss, really appreciate you coming in. Um, you live in this world all the time. We are just dipping into it today. We are both experiencing some amount of mental anguish. Mm-hmm. How does it make you feel living there full time? So I have lived in many different places uh, around the world, and each has had their own thing to freak out about, right? Um, You might be living in a place of political unrest. You might be living in Tornado Alley. You might be living in hurricane areas. You might be living in earthquake-prone areas. Um, No place is 100% safe. Just like you can't protect your children from every single thing that's going to happen to them in their lives. You can't live somewhere where it's just a little bubble and you're going to be safe. So it's good to be educated. It's good to know what you can do about it and go out and and face your day because there's always going to be a different situation. This just happens to be ours. You said it pays to be prepared. What do you do? What's your level of preparation? So I have a go kit and to kind of mentally make it not so scary. My husband and I call it our zombie apocalypse preparedness kit. That's not scary. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's some sort of like fanciful thing that, you know, it's, 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 it's silly to do. But your earthquake kit works for all sorts of natural phenomenon, whether it's a, a natural disaster or just, you know, PG&E had a brownout and you lost power for two days. You know, same sort of material, same sort of plan works for all of these different things. So have a plan, know where your kids are, how to reach them in an emergency. If you're like many Bay Area families where people work in very disparate areas of the Bay, figure out where are you going? Oh, like where are you meeting? Point? Where's your reunion point? You know, we've we've gotten we've forgotten so much over the past twenty years about how to have a plan because we rely on our cell phones all the time. But if that's going to be out, you still need a plan, meet up place, have a go bag, have some water. What's in your go bag? What's in my go bag? I have a lot of stuff in my go bag. Um, I have water purification tablets. 
I have a Mylar blanket. I do not have a lot of food rations because my go bag is stored right in the middle of my house, right next to my pantry. So I got pantry goods. I'm just going to throw in there. Um, having a can opener is very important. Um, medication. And the other thing that I often tell people to have is cash. During a disaster, a lot of times cash is king because people stop taking credit cards because there's no power. That's the voice of Dr. Jennifer Strauss. She works for the United States Geological Survey uh, based at UC Berkeley. She's one of the co-authors of the Haywired Earthquake Scenario, which is a collaboration between scientists and engineers trying to model in excruciating detail what would happen if a specific earthquake hit a specific place, namely a 7.0 on the Hayward Fault with its epicenter in Oakland. And during a business day, towards the end of the work day. The bottom lines on that scenario are staggering. The one that took my breath away, about 411,000 people would be displaced. Up to 22,000 stuck in elevators at the exact same time. And simultaneously, 400 fires breaking out just as a lot of water mains have been severed or compromised by the shaking. You can imagine the situation that first responders are going to be in. And that is why it is so important that you be prepared. We're offering the basic elements of personal preparation in our phone room as a public service and as our thank you gift to you for your support of KPFA. The emergency radio is $200. Our water filter, $120. Our supply kit, which is food, water, medical supplies, blankets, ponchos, and more for two people for three days wrapped in a backpack so you can grab it and go is yours for a pledge of $300 or more and all of it together is yours for a discounted combined pledge rate of $500 you don't have to get this stuff from us but you can get it done with one phone call right now by calling 1-800-439-5732 and you absolutely do have to have it. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA or online at kpfa.org. 